Romans chapter 4. We're going to read one verse this morning together. And we're going to be looking at verse 20. When you find that, if you'd stand for the reading of God's word. Romans 4, verse 20, let's read that uh, together. Ready? He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. That he there at the beginning of the verse is talking about Abraham, how that he staggered not at the promise of God. The sermon this morning is a question, it's a very pointed question aimed at you. And the question is this, are you staggering at God's promises? Are you staggering at God's promises? Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you'd help us as we would um, uh, look at the Bible together this morning. We're going to look at a lot of scripture. And we want your word, the living word, the written word, to be a living word in our hearts that uh, divides uh, apart the, the thoughts and intents of our hearts. And Lord, where we have uh, moments in our Christian life where we struggle to believe the way we ought to. We have moments in our life where we, uh, our faith is lacking in you, our all-powerful God. Would you help us, Lord, to refer back to a sermon like today, truths that we'll look at today, and be reminded that you're always faithful, that you never change, that you always keep your promises. And so, Lord, I pray this sermon would serve as a great encouragement to many people. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Before we get into the message, I just uh, wanted to remind several of you here have ordered the Revelation series. We uh, made a box set for you. It is awaiting you in the bookstore. And so I'm not going to call out names yet. I'm going to read a list of names in the next couple of weeks, so you'll stop by and pick those up. But if you ordered the sermon series, um, please do pick that up. Um, this morning after church, if, if possible. We, we'll take either cash or check, and the cost of the materials, uh, the cost just about covers the materials and, and uh, maybe a dollar or more, but not, we're not making much, if anything, off of those. But I would encourage you to pick those up. And if you'd like a copy of the Revelation series, please do uh, stop by the bookstore and order those. We can have you a, a cassette, or a, rather a CD case made up as well. Romans 4.20, He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Now, the last several months, especially in the Revelation series, I made a lot of references to Ephesians 6 and talked about the spiritual war that is going on all around us. We have the forces of good and evil, uh, God and Satan, uh, righteousness and unrighteousness, and they are battling over us. They want to destroy us. And uh, there is a spiritual war going on around us. However, or likewise, Paul likened this battle against sin, against the desires of our flesh, and against the devil. He also likened this to a boxing match or a street brawl, however you want to look at it. A boxing match or a street brawl. Let me give you a couple of examples. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. You're in Romans, it's one book to the right there. 1 Corinthians 9. And look with me at verse number 26. Paul is describing his his effort to live the Christian life. And he uses a couple of different analogies here. A couple of different metaphors here. Look at verse 26. It says, I therefore so run. 1 Corinthians 9, 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Not as one that beateth the air. Uh, how many of you here know what shadow boxing is? Boxers will shadow box. They'll, they'll, they'll take swings and they're swinging at an imaginary person that's not there and they'll practice the jab and, and the uppercut and the hook and, and they, they box as one that is beating the air. Paul said, I am in a fight. But I'm not just swinging at the air. I'm swinging at the devil. I'm swinging at the devil. Let me give you a couple of other places where Paul referenced living the Christian life to a boxing match or a street brawl. 1 Timothy 6.12, he says this to Timothy. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Fight 
the good fight of faith. Now, that verse right there, that phrase has all of the elements of the concept of the sermon this morning. Fight the good fight of faith. To have faith, it is a fight. To live by faith is a fight. And in the, in, in the last letter that Paul would ever write, he said this about his own Christian service. He said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Again, the analogy of running and fighting and boxing and a street brawl. He's in a battle against the devil. He says, I have fought a good fight of faith. Now, in 19, or rather 1896, Norman Kidd McCoy was the welterweight boxing champion. The welterweight boxing champion. And this was back when boxing was a bigger deal than it is now. But in one of his fights, he learned that his opponent was deaf. Could not hear. McCoy finally discovered this. And as they were nearing the end of the third round, McCoy quickly stepped back. And with his glove, he pointed to his opponent's corner, indicating that the bell had rung, even though it had not. When his opponent turned his head, McCoy unloaded a powerful blow and knocked him out cold. It was unfair, but it was very effective. And there was no rule technically against it. Unethical, yes. Did it break the rules? No. Do you know that that is exactly what Satan has done to us? Satan does not play fair. We're in a boxing match against Satan in sin. Satan does not play fair. And temptations, they never, ever, ever deliver on what they promise. Worse yet, Satan hits us in the back of the head. And then when we turn around, he blames God for what he did to mankind. How many people are going through life blaming God for the things that Satan is responsible for? Say, it's God's fault. No, 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 it's not God's fault, it's Satan's fault. We want to blame Satan, or whether we want to blame God and run to Satan's side and, and, and waller around in sinful habits and temptations and we get bitter toward God because He allowed such and such to happen in our life. And the truth is, no, it isn't that God allowed it in our life. It's that Satan took a cheap shot and we ought to get mad at Satan and we ought to go stand by God's side and be righteous. Romans 4.20 gives us, uh, gives us an amazing verse about Abraham. Look at it with me again. Notice the term here, the, the fighting term here. Romans 4.20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. He, stru- he staggered not. God made Abraham some promises, and Abraham did not stagger even when Satan gave him his best shot. Even when Satan uh, uh, beat him and pummeled him and treated him awful. Now, um, uh, uh, Sarah struggled a little bit more than Abraham did, but Abraham was faithful. Did Abraham get dazed? Yes. Did Abraham get his blood proverbially uh, 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 bloodied? Yes. Was Abraham bruised, have his eyes swollen shut at times? Yes. But Abraham stayed faithful. He bounced out of the corner at the beginning of every round, ready to go and fight the good fight for the Lord. Now, back in Genesis chapter 12, uh, we see that God made Abraham some promises. God made Abraham some promises. And uh, these promises were quite large and would take a long time to be developed uh, uh, in his life. Uh, this was not a drive through McDonald's drive through for Abraham. He did not pull up to the window and order these four things and then pull up to the uh, window, uh, pull up to uh, uh, leave the drive through screen and pull up to the window three minutes later and get it in a bag hot and ready. That's not how it worked. It took decades for God to come through on his promises. Decades. Let me give you what some of the promises were to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Number one, he and Sarah would have a baby. He and Sarah would have a baby. Now, Abraham and Sarah faced the difficulty that many, many couples still face today. They wanted to have a baby. In fact, the very first command in the Bible is to a married couple to go and reproduce and have babies. You can find that in Genesis. But they wanted to have a baby, and they could not. And no doubt Sarah wept many tears. No doubt Abraham was depressed. No doubt they took this hard. No doubt at times they even 
questioned their faith and questioned God and wondered why. But God came to Abraham and he said, I want you to get up and I want you to go to a land that I will show you as you travel. And in return for your obedience, I will give you a child. It would take decades before God would deliver on that. But God kept his promise and Abraham did not waver. Hebrews 11 backs that up as well as Romans 4. Number two, he would be the father of many nations. He would be the father of many nations. Now, we know that Abraham would have Isaac, and from Isaac uh, there would be children born, and some of those children would split off, and uh, Esau would be would split off, and you get the Edomites out of that. From the Edomites, no doubt, there were countries that developed. Uh, you would have, uh, uh, he would also have a child through a woman named Hagar, and uh, uh, named Ishmael, and many, many, many of the other countries around Israel come from Ishmael. Ishmael's their father. On top of Ishmael, uh, there would be uh, uh, many children born to Abraham after Sarah died through yet another wife. And some of those children would become many nations. So God is telling Abraham, he says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. But he's telling this at a time where he's married to one woman and she can't have a baby. And what a stretch that must have seemed. Number three, that through him all nations of the world would be blessed. Through him all nations of the world would be blessed. How have all of the nations been blessed through Abraham? Through the person of Jesus. Jesus is, uh, uh, Jesus is uh, great-grandfather going way up the chain is Abraham. Abraham's great-grandson way down the chain is Jesus. How many of you here today, Jesus has radically changed your life? You have been blessed with the seed of Abraham. What if, um, what if God were to come to you and say, if you, if you do what I tell you to do, thousands of years from now, people are going to turn around and recognize you that through your obedience, they have received a great blessing. That blessing called eternal life. What a promise is that? What a great promise. Number four. God promised Abraham in Genesis 12 that he would receive a promised land for his descendants. He would receive a promised land for his descendants. And uh, that promised land is Israel. Now, it's much more than just a little slice of land that Israel currently inhabits. And one day, the borders of Israel will greatly expand as Jesus Christ sits on the throne and rules and reigns the world. But even that promise to Abraham made to him in Genesis 12 would become true for thousands of years as they would inhabit and rule under uh, Joshua's uh, conquering and they would live there for many, 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 many years. So God kept all of his promises to Abraham, but Abraham could not uh, stagger, could not waver, could not doubt God what he had said. This morning, I want us to look uh, uh, rather first. I propose that in the Christian fight, Satan wants to get you to doubt God's promises. And he's very effective at that, isn't he? He wants to use past failures of both others and yourself. He wants to use a skewed outlook at the moment. Or he wants to use a deep-seated fear to keep you from believing that God and his abundant promises found in the Bible are true and that he will follow through on every single one of them. I, I can ask you this. How many of you intellectually believe that God always keeps his promises? Will you raise your hand if you believe that? How many of you, don't raise your hand to this one, how many of you, your heart really believes that? You can believe something with your head and struggle to believe it with your heart. And I would say this to you, if you claim you believe it in your heart, then is your whole life structure set up banking on God's promises? Or is your life structure set up banking on how hard you can work, how far you can go without God's help? Is it, well, I know God said, but my insurance policy is my own effort, or my own this, or my own that. No, no, no. Our life ought to be structured where God's promises are the safety net of life. We wholeheartedly depend on them. 
We're going to look at four truths this morning as we consider this question, are you stumbling at God's promises? Number one, the promises of God. The promises of God. Let's take a few minutes this morning and let's look at some of the promises found in the Bible. And uh, as uh, those of you that have been going to church for a long time know, you can, you can categorize all of the promises of God into two categories. And letter A would be unconditional promises for the Christian. Unconditional promises for the Christian. Jared, if you know how, could you give me a little bit more volume on these monitors right here? If you can figure that out, that'd be great. Unconditional promises for the Christian. Let me give you several here uh, that will come up on the screen one at a time. And uh, we'll leave them up there for a moment so you uh, have a chance to jot them down if you're taking notes. The first one I want to point out here is that your salvation can never be lost. These promises, by the way, have nothing to do with you. These promises are unconditional. If you are a Christian, what I'm about to tell you will come to pass whether you are a great Christian or a horrible Christian. If you're a Christian, these promises are for you. And they're not based on how well you behave. They're not based on your character, thank God. They're based on His character, which is impeccable and is always there. So your salvation can never be lost. Part of the reason why people believe that you can lose your salvation is because they think that somehow they got saved by their works, so their salvation is maintained with their works. They can say, no, 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 I believe salvation is by grace, but I must work to maintain it. That, that doesn't gel. You didn't get saved through your work. You got saved through his work. You got saved through your faith in his work. See Ephesians 2, 8, 9 if you have a hard time with that. See Titus 3, 5. See abundance of other places. John three sixteen. So if you're not saved by your works, then your works don't keep you saved. You're saved to do work. But even if you don't do those works, you're still saved. John chapter 10, and I'm going to read these uh, here. You're welcome to turn to them if you'd like. You'll have a moment to turn over uh, as you see the verse on the screen. But uh, I'm just going to read them. And if you turn, you do. If uh, If you turn over there, you do. If you don't, you don't. John 10, listen closely. If you don't, verse 28 and 29 says, And I give unto them temporary life. That's not what it says. And I give unto them eternal life as long as they behave. It's not what it says. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Amen? Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. You can't even pluck yourself out of the hand of God. My Father, which gave them to me, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. If God says that your salvation is eternal and that you will never perish, then ye shall never perish. It is God's promise, and it is an unconditional promise. Let me give you another one. He will supply for your needs. He will supply for your needs. Philippians 4.19 But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches, his riches, his bank account, his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. I I believe the Bible says in another place, I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You say, oh, you see there, Pastor, I've got to be righteous in order for me to not be forsaken. Well, let me remind you that even Lot was called righteous In his wicked state. That word righteous there in that verse is not talking about someone who's living their life right. That word is talking about someone who is saved. If you are born again, if you are a Christian, you have a promise from God that he will supply your needs. Now, he's not necessarily going to supply your wants, but he will supply your needs. I'm going to expound on that thought in great depth tonight. I would encourage you to be back Tonight, uh, the next promise, let's look at here. He will provide the Holy Spirit to comfort and convict. If you're saved, you will. He, God is going to provide for you the Holy Spirit to indwell you so that you have a comforter and a convictor. John sixteen seven says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you, disciples, that I, Jesus, go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Last time I checked, Jesus has departed. Anybody uh, seen video of Jesus walking the earth? 
He's gone. He ascended up to heaven. Do you know what that means? The Holy Spirit's here. And He comforts us. How many of you know what it means to be comforted by the Holy Spirit during a hard time? Aren't you glad for that promise this morning? Let me ask you another question. How many knows what it feels like to have the convicting hand of the Holy Spirit when you do wrong? Uh-huh. Yep. He does both, doesn't he? And he does them well. Let's look at another promise of God this morning. God promises us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. It's a promise. It's a promise that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Now, the thought here is that you're going to be a slave to somebody. All of us. You are a slave today. You say, oh, pastor, there was an amendment passed in the U.S. I think it was the 13th Amendment. I don't really remember off the top of my head. I'm going completely off the top of my head. But there was an amendment that abolished slavery in the U.S. Was it the 13th? Does anybody remember? I got it right. Yes. All right. Uh, The 13th Amendment abolished slavery. Pastor, slavery is a thing of the past. And I got to say, thank God it is. Amen. Uh, As far as the American political system goes. However, in the realm of spirituality, slavery is still a thing. You're either a slave to your sin and Satan or you are a slave to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to give you a burden to carry, a cross to bear. He's going to give you a yoke to wear to do his work. But Matthew chapter 11 verse 30 says this, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Pastor, the rules of the Bible are hard to follow. The Bible is a hard book to live by. The Christian life is a, is a boring, hard life to live. And I'd say, go tell that to the man dying of cirrhosis of the liver because he's drunk himself into the grave. Go tell that to the addict. They can't break away from drugs. Ask him which yoke is heavier, which burden is lighter. I would say this morning that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I'll give you another unconditional promise of God this morning. With him, all things are possible. With him, all things are possible. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Christians, you're back up against the wall and you don't know what to do. Maybe you feel like your needs are not going to get supplied for. With God all things are possible. You've been diagnosed with some sickness and the doctors are telling you it's terminal. With men it's impossible. With God all things are possible. You have a relationship that's on the rocks and totally shattered, and you think it can never be repaired? With men, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. Let me give you a a few more here quickly. He is not a respecter of persons. You walk in the door today, it doesn't matter if you have money in the bank or you don't. It doesn't matter this morning if you smell good or you don't. It doesn't matter this morning what color your skin is, how heavy or light you are. It doesn't matter to God. You say, well, God can never do great things with me. My name isn't fill in the blank. Um, God is not a respecter of persons. He sees us all the same. And if you're willing to put in the work to be a good Christian, he's going to bless you just the same way he did the Apostle Paul. Or the person in the church that you admire that you think is a successful Christian. You say, well, I don't have the winsome personality they, they have. Have you read the story of Gideon in the Old Testament? That man had no personality. And boy, God used him to do some pretty incredible things. Acts 10.34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And that verse was breathed along a racial line. And Paul said, Yeah, they're Gentiles and I'm a Jew, but God is no respecter of persons. Let me give you three more here quickly with, uh, with no comments. One day, everyone will give an account to God. One day, everyone will give an account to God. Romans 14, verse 12, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. That is a promise that will be true. Let me give you another one here. He, Jesus, will always be the same. He will always be the same. Jesus Christ, Hebrews 13, 8, the same yesterday and today and forever. He never changes. I wake up in a bad mood sometimes. I wake up in a good mood other times. But Jesus is always the same. He's always the same. One more. He will come again and receive the saints to heaven. I'm not going to read this passage, but 1 Thessalonians 14, 
uh, rather, 1 Thessalonians 4, that's probably a mistake on my end, but nonetheless, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17. Uh, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. The passage goes on and talks about how that one day Jesus Christ is going to return in the clouds. The trumpet's going to blow and the church will ascend to heaven. It's going to be a great day and it is a promise. No, it hasn't come true. One day it will. One more here. I, one more on the next page. Satan and the forces of evil will lose and be eliminated. Revelation chapter 20, verse 7. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of prison. You go on out and read that passage, and what you find is that Satan is collected and thrown into hell, and his forces are totally demolished. So Satan's going to lose, spend eternity in hell for his wickedness. So these are the unconditional promises of God. Now, there are the unconditional promises. Letter B, there are the conditional promises. Here's where we get tripped up. Because we think we're doing our part, and we wonder why God's not coming through on His. And the variable is not God, it's us. We're not doing our part. Let me give you, um, uh, let me give you several conditional promises, and we're going to categorize each one with our condition that's been given, and God's commitment once the condition's met, okay? Let me give you the first one here. Um, our condition is to ask, seek, and knock. Matthew 7, uh, verses 7 and 8. If you want to turn over there, you can. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. We are told that it, uh, we are to ask, we are to seek, and we are to knock. And God's commitment, if we do those three things, is it shall be given, ye shall find, and it shall be open. It shall be given, ye shall find, and it shall be open. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Ask, and it shall be given you. If you ask, it will be given you. Seek. And ye shall find. Knock, it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Let me give you another conditional promise here. Our condition, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the condition. It's not do good works. It's believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have a commitment from God that thou shalt be saved. If you believe, you shall be saved. There's no question about that. It's cut and dry. Do you believe in Jesus for salvation or do you not believe in Jesus for salvation? Do you believe in Jesus alone for salvation or are you believing in Jesus and something else? No, flat out, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you have a promise that he's going to save you. Acts 16.31, and they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Let me give you another one here. Our condition, ask God for his wisdom. Ask God for his wisdom. If you ask God for his wisdom, then God's commitment, he will give you a generous portion. He will give you a generous portion. How many of you right now are facing some sort of tough decision in your life? Would you raise your hand? You're facing some sort of tough decision. You don't know whether it's a job opportunity or advancement or job change or relational or health, uh, whatever it is, you have a tough decision in front of you and you're stuck and you don't know what to do. James 1.5, if any of you lack, lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. If you ask, he will give it. Now, uh, let me give you, uh, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four more here with very little comment. First one, our condition, forgive others their transgressions. Forgive others their transgressions. If you do that, you, will ha you have a commitment from God that God will forgive you of your transgressions. Some of you here have apologized to God for something and God hasn't forgiven you. You say, well, I thought that if I confessed my sins, he was going to be faithful and just to forgive. You've kind of forgot about um, Mark eleven twenty five. Mark eleven twenty five says that you have to first forgive others before God will forgive you. You haven't let go of what someone did to you in your past. Why are you getting on your knees asking God to forgive you? God's saying, I'll forgive you when you forgive that person back there that hurt you. Mark eleven twenty five twenty six. And when ye stand praying, or when ye stand praying, forgive if ye have aught against any, that your Father also, which is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. But if ye do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. 
you're, you're kind of stuck in a rut if you haven't forgiven someone. So forgive. Go through the process of forgiving. And then ask God to forgive you when you're wrong. Next one. Our condition. You must delight yourself in the Lord. You must delight yourself in the Lord. If you do that, you have a commitment from God that He will give you the desires of your heart. He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 37, 4. If you know the verse, say it out loud with me. Ready? Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. If you delight in the Lord, then He's going to give you the desires of your heart. You say, oh, pastor, there is this house in Stratford that's got seven bedrooms in it. And I have been wanting to move in there for four years. Are you telling me if I start delighting myself in the Lord that I'm going to wake up and the keys are going to be in my hand? That's not how that verse works. You know what happens when you start delighting yourself in the Lord? God starts putting in you the desires that you ought to have. So this verse has a double promise in it. If you delight in the Lord, He's going to place, He's going to give you the right desires to have. He's going to give you the desires of your heart. Then you turn around and you ask for Him, and then He gives you what you desire. That's a double promise. Isn't that promise cool? If you will delight in the Lord, He's going to give you the right desires to have, then He's going to fulfill the desires that you have. Um, uh, let's see here. Let's look at the next one. Our condition, call unto God. Call unto God. What is God's commitment? If you call unto God, he will answer you. I will answer you. Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee and, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Let me give you one more. Uh, our condition, love God and answer the call for the purpose of your life. Love God and answer the call for the purpose of your life. If God's calling you to be involved in some way, some ministry, some area of service, He's calling you to give your life to a cause or to do something, and you give your life to it, and then you have met your condition, if you love God while you're doing that, what is God's commitment? That all things will work together for good. All things will work together for good. I'll give you one quick example with this. You remember the story of Joseph in Genesis? If Joseph had quit living the calling of his life, I guarantee you things would have not worked together for his good. You know why things worked together for his good? Because he kept loving God and he kept doing what he had been called to do. And what happened? He became second in command. He went from the, the dungeon where he was in prison to second in command and in charge of all of the food of the world. Why? Because he kept loving God, even when it was tough, and he kept doing what he had been called to do. He controlled what he could control. He trusted God and loved God. He did what he was called to do, and God kept his promise. So, number one, we see the promises of God. Number two, quickly, a perspective on why we stagger. A perspective on why we stagger. So, you're in this, you're in this fight, and Satan is in the ring, and he's taking his best shot. He's trying to knock you down. He either wants you to, to put your hands up in defeat and quit, or he wants to put you on the mat cold with a referee standing over you giving you the 10 count. He doesn't want you to keep fighting the good fight. He doesn't want you to persevere. He wants you to stagger. I, I think of uh, some boxing matches I've seen. You say, Pastor, boxing is violent. Surely you would not ever, ever pay-per-view a fight and pay for uh, violence to take place on your screen. Surely, Pastor, you would never, ever involve yourself in such a atrocity. And I'd say, no, I won't pay for it, but if you will, I'll show up and watch. Um, you ladies that don't like us men watching fighting, it is part of who we are. And while we ought not be drunk on violence, seeing a couple of guys in a, in a boxing ring uh, dealing blows at each other in a consensual way, there is nothing wrong with that. If it was wrong, then Paul was wrong to use this analogy in Scripture. Okay, There's nothing wrong with it. Um, I don't endorse people living a brawler lifestyle, Okay, going out and just picking fights for the sake of picking fights. But understand the analogy here is that we are in a boxing match. We're in a street brawl with the devil. 
He's trying everything he can to destroy us. And at times, he gets the upper hand on us, doesn't he? At times, the scorecard gets uh, uh, scored in his favor at the end of the round and not ours. And we can begin to stagger. We can begin to have our hands down. And Satan's just dealing blow after blow on us. And we are staggering and we begin to question whether or not the promises of God are true. Letter A, notice, inhibited by faults. Inhibited by faults. Turn over to James chapter 1 with me. James 1, and we looked at verse 5 a minute ago. Let's look at verse number 6. One of the ways I go about putting sermons together when I'm doing a topical study is I'll take a word and I'll look at all of the places in the original language that that word is used. Oftentimes it's translated as different things. And so if you look up a word in English, for instance, the word stagger, the only place it's used in the Bible is, is, is in our uh, opening text. But the root word or the Greek word for stagger is used multiple times throughout the New Testament, just translated different ways. One of the ways it's translated is the word waver. Look at James 1.6. But let him ask in faith, nothing staggering, nothing doubting, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. So that word waver is the same word as stagger back in Romans chapter 4. Now, notice the digression here in James 1. We become overwhelmed by a problem. We ask God for wisdom in verse 5. But after we've asked Him for wisdom, we then waver or stagger at God's promise to deliver on that wisdom. We waver or we stagger. Notice how we are described like a ship that is being tossed around by the waves. So why is it that we don't trust? Why is it that we don't believe that God will keep his promises? Well, uh, one of the reasons I believe is because we have experienced leadership that has let us down in the past. We have experienced leadership that has let us down in the past. I remember there was a lady that attended church when I was a teenager, and uh, uh, she was a sweet lady. Her and her husband would come in to counsel with a pastor, oh, once every other week or once a month. And this counseling went on for a long, long, long time. I'm not going to put a time frame on it, but it was a long, long, long time. And uh, I remember my dad uh, talking about it when you're in the ministry as a child and your parents uh, are doing church work and your parents are privy to information the way a pastor is. Sometimes your little ears overhear things. And my parents are very careful to not talk about too much in front of me. But nonetheless, sometimes you're just going to, because you're around the ministry, you're going to know things, you're going to hear things. And I remember hearing my dad talk to my mom one time on the way home and he mentioned this lady. And boy, she had such a sweet countenance, but she seemed like she was a worry woman. Just always worried. My dad said, he said, that they counsel with the pastor so much because she has a hard time with her eternal assurance. She has a hard time believing that she is still saved even when she does wrong. Come to find out, this lady had deep daddy issues. Deep daddy issues. Daddy was not there for her the way he should have been. And because her dad didn't have the involvement in her life that he should have. And when he was around, he was very condescending toward her and didn't accept her. She felt as though God did not accept her when she messed up. And it hurt her ability to trust the Bible. And this pastor, I'm sure if it was me uh, and I had someone coming in to see me on this, I would take them to every verse in the Bible on eternal assurance. I would show them up and down. I would tell them to set the emotion to the side and trust God at His Word. She could not trust the Bible because she couldn't get around leadership failures in her life from her childhood. Some of you here, you don't trust God at His promises because there has been some person who has stood as a leader in your life and they've let you down and now you have a hard time trusting God because you don't trust leadership at all. I would say this, I worded it the way I worded it, inhibited by human faults, because it's not just uh, others that fail us. Sometimes we can't trust God at his promises because we have our own faults in our life. We put our head down and say, God, you you could never keep your promises with me because I'm not worthy. I've 
I've done this and this and this and this, and we dwell on our, our sins. And God looks at you and says, hey, didn't you confess that? Then what sins are you even talking about? I buried them in the deepest sea. I separated them as far as the east is from the west. I, I threw them over my shoulder never to look back. I don't even know about your faults. And, 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 and don't let your past faults think that somehow I can't keep my promises to you. Inhibited by human faults. Some of you here today need to deal with the fact that humans are sinful, but God is sinless. And yes... Humans may have let you down. But my friend, I go back to that promise. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if He promised you something, He's going to deliver. If you do your part of the condition, He's going to keep His commitment. Letter B, notice, incorrect in our focus. Incorrect in our focus. Turn over to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14. After Matthew, we're going to go to Numbers 13. If you want to look both of those up, we can expedite the process. Matthew 14 and Numbers 13. Matthew 14, verse 28. We find here the disciples alone in the boat, where uh, they should have been quite comfortable. They were on a sea that many of them had fished prior to being called to follow Jesus. Many of them were experienced fishermen. They knew boats. They knew uh, uh, how to handle a storm. And this storm was so tumultuous, they were fearful for their lives. Jesus was not with them. He came walking on the water. They had a problem with spiritism, believing in spirits. And so they, they mistaken Jesus as a spirit. And then uh, uh, beyond that, uh, Jesus came walking on the water and they said, oh, it's a spirit. And Jesus said, be not afraid. It is I. And Peter said, uh, well, look at verse 28. And Peter answer and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on water. And he said, come. And when he and when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. So this is a pretty amazing story. This is the only time in the Bible a human other than a deity walks on water. Uh, uh, Peter is in the and Jesus says, it's me. And, and Peter says, all right, Jesus, if it's you, prove it. I want to come out to you. And Jesus says, well, come on out. So Peter gets out of that boat and he's walking on top of, of liquid, it wasn't frozen, liquid H2O. He's walking across this water. And he's got his eyes on Jesus. And the storm is raging. Boy, I hope I, hope I can see this in heaven one day. And I, I, if, even if I can just be there to hear Peter recount it, that, that'll be good enough. Uh, but he's walking on top of water. Can you imagine? I, I have experimented to see if I could walk on water. But it was in the bathtub. And about two inches of water. Because I wasn't going to try it and drown. Amen. I'm not getting out of the boat in the middle of the sea or the ocean. And so I'm, he's, that's not true by the way. I'm not that dumb. Uh, but walking on, he's walking on water. And, and uh, as long as he has his eyes on Jesus, everything's great. Then... The wind kicks up. And the rain starts coming out a little bit harder. Maybe there was thunder and lightning that happened right in the background. And he took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on the storm. And whoom, immediately he fell. You know why he staggered? You know why he wavered? You know why he doubted? Because he lost focus on what really mattered, the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of you here, you're not sure about the promises of God because you have grown apart from God. You say, Pastor, it was not my intent to grow apart from God. Maybe it wasn't, but Satan works subtly. I'm going to tell you something. You start missing church, you start missing church, and you know what happens? You turn around, it's been a month since you've gone to church. And you go, what happened? And a month can turn into six months, it can turn into six years. Generally, it starts... That if you sit in the front, you start sliding back. Then you get to the back, and then you start missing. Now, if you start in the back, you just start... No, I'm teasing. You just start missing, right? Uh, but I'm picking on that crawl back there. No, uh, but, uh, but be careful. Be careful. You, you're reading your Bible and praying every day. You're having family altar the way you ought to. And then life gets busy, and you put down your Bible, or you put down your family devotions, and you start missing. And then you turn around, it's been six months since you read your Bible. And now you start to doubt God's promises. Why? Because your eyes are not where they ought to be. And you are incorrect in your focus. 
you're focused on the variables instead of focusing on God who is the invariable. He never changes. Notice letter C. We're, let's see here, incapacitated by fear. Incapacitated by fear. Before I give you letter C, there's a really strong point I, I have to make here. This, this really is the, the crux of the point. What if I could take you and put you in a time machine and send you back to David and Goliath? Okay? And you, with your knowledge of the Bible, are going to be the spiritual advisor to David. Alright? And so David's there. He's got his sling. He's just coming out of Saul's tent. He's got his sling. And he has not yet picked up the rocks. And he's, he's, he's dancing back and forth. He's pacing back and forth. And the time where Goliath's going to come down to the pit is soon. And, and he comes to you. And he says, I'm just not sure about this. That giant's ten feet tall! He's a seasoned warrior. I'm a little boy. All I got is this sling. I don't know if I can do this. What would you tell him? If it was you, and you already knew the outcome of the story, what would you tell him? You'd say, David, man, you got to do it. I can't tell you how I know this, but it's going to turn out really good. you got to do it. What if I could put you back in that time machine and take you to Noah? And, and God has just told Noah how to build the boat. And Noah's gotten some of the prep work done. He's collected the wood and beginning to collect the wood. And, and people are beginning to come around and question Noah. And, man, Noah is in the pit of discouragement. He's getting, he's getting made fun of at the market. People laugh at him when he walks by. He's just the scorn in the town. And Noah, man, he's right on the edge of quitting. And you walk up to Noah and you already know Genesis 6. You already know the outcome. And Noah comes to you and says, I don't know about this. I mean, build a boat in my backyard all this ways from the ocean. Build a boat that's big enough to hold all the animals in the world. Build a boat that's even big enough to hold a lot of people. What am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then God gave me these stringent rules. And you'd say, Noah, I can't tell you how I know this. But man, you better build that boat or I'm not going to be alive in several thousand years. Well, the world's going to be extinct. Build the boat. Put you back in that time machine and take you to Moses. You get the idea, right? Moses in the Red Sea and they're trapped. And God tells Moses, hold your rod above the Red Sea and I'm going to part it. And Moses is like, I ain't doing it. You know what those people are going to think if that Red Sea doesn't split? They're going to kill me. And they probably would have. And you'd say to Moses, Moses, I know the outcome. I can't tell you how I know. I know the outcome. Hold the stick up, man. Just do it. Here's what I'm getting at. God already sees the end of your life. He already knows how the promises in the Bible are going to paint a beautiful painting of your life. And if you quit because you're focused on the storm and you stagger till Satan delivers that knockout blow, my friend, that story will never, ever take place. Don't. Don't lose focus on what really matters. Let her see in, in, in incapacitated by fear. Numbers 13. Quickly, Numbers 13. Verse 31. But the men that went up with him said, We be not able, we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land, and which they had searched the children of uh, Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone uh, to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof, and all the people that we saw in it are, are men of a great stature. And there uh, we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which came, uh, which come of the giants. And we, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, so were we in their sights. Sight. Now, uh, I think that they knew that God was big. I think they knew that God was capable, but they still couldn't do it. Earlier I asked you, how many of you in your head believe that God will keep the promises of the Bible? I believe every hand was raised either outwardly, some of you don't like raising your hand, but inwardly you raised your hand, okay? Uh, um, then I asked you, how many of you believe the promises of God in your heart through your lifestyle? And the truth is, a lot of us don't. And I believe it's because our fear stops us. Our fear stops us. Let me give you some examples here. 
when I was a children's pastor, I ran a children's camp at Camp Rapidan in Virginia, one of the nicest campgrounds I've ever been on. They had on the property the longest zip line for any Christian camp in America. It was almost a mile long, really long zip line. And they spent a boatload of money to keep that thing operational every year, make sure it was safe. In fact, I went up prior to us renting out the campground, and I talked to the campground owner, and he told me everything they did every year to make sure that that was safe. So I knew it was safe. I remember when it was my team's turn to do the zip line. I watched these kids scale up the pole with their harnesses on, and everything was done in a safe way. And I watched them hook up the D-ring, and I watched them slide down, and I watched as they smiled with enjoyment, and then it was my turn. I went up the pole. The pole, it was probably 50, 60 feet up, 70 feet up. I don't know how high up it was. It was going down a ravine, so we didn't have to be up too high there. And I, I hooked the D-ring up to the pole. I had some, they had a worker up there to help you. And I looked down, and in my head, I knew it was going to work. But in my heart, boy, I had to make a decision. Am I going to let my fear stop me from enjoying this? We had some kids that went up the pole and came back down the pole. So what I did is I took myself, and I closed my eyes, and I just fell off. My head knew, but my heart had a hard time trusting. How many of you here believe that if you had to jump out of an airplane with a parachute on, with enough training, with enough training? For the older folks, I'd remind you, George H.W. Bush did it for his 80th birthday, okay? It's doable, all right, with help. How many of you believe with enough training, if you had to, life or death, jump out of a par- uh, hel- uh, an airplane with a hel- uh, parachute on, that you could survive. How many believe that? How many of you want to go out today and do that? <laughs> My Marines back here. They're like, yeah, sign me up. I'm ready to go. Okay. Fear is a powerful thing. When we allow our fear to control us, boy, it sure limits what we can do. Some of us stagger at doing great things for God because we're afraid of the fallout if we fail. And i got to tell you, God's Word is true. Number one, the promises of God. Number two, a perspective on why we stagger. Lastly, number three, the process of growth. The process of growth. I'm going to run through these quickly here. Letter A, where we start. Where we start. This is so key, especially if you're a new Christian. Or if you've been saved a long time, but just don't feel like you've been growing very quick, uh, uh, quickly enough. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We were in Romans to start. 2 Corinthians is two books after Romans. So turn over quickly to 2 Corinthians 10. Especially if you're a new Christian, I want you to lay your eyes on this verse. It is so very important that all of us be reminded of this regularly. But if you're a new Christian, you've never seen this verse. Boy, oh boy, do you need this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. In fact, if you're a new Christian... You need to memorize this verse. If you're a Christian who's been saved a long time, you probably still need to memorize this verse. 2 Corinthians 10, 12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number, or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Where we start. You know, we begin this faith journey, and all of us begin it at a different starting point. All of us progress at a different pace. It would not be fair for me to look at someone who's been saved a year or two and expect them to have as much faith in God as someone who's been saved and faithful for 30 years. It is never a good idea to look at anybody else and say, I want to be where they are, or beat yourself up because you're not where they are. Or to look at someone who's been saved the same amount of time as you and say, well, I'm way ahead of that person. Oh, that's a dangerous game to play. 
You compare yourself to who God wants you to be. You compare yourself to who you were yesterday, who you were last week, who you were last month. Am I pressing on the upward way? Am I growing in my faith? As God puts obstacles in front of me and I don't understand what I'm to do other than to do right and I'm not sure how it's going to work out, am I starting with my eyes on the Lord? Am I trusting Him? Where we start, all of us come into this Christian life uh, at a little bit different of a starting point in that we, we, we had a different religious background or we've had different experiences and the concoction of experiences that that make up who we are, uh, lead us to have either an easier time having faith in God or a harder time having faith in God. But you do your part to put your eyes on the Lord and grow in Him. And you make sure that you start with your eyes on the Lord and you don't ever look this way. You look this way. The process of growth. When you the devil hits you in the mouth, you don't look around and say, well, I must, I need to quit because I've been saved this long and I shouldn't feel this way. No, no, no. You look at God and say, Lord, you give me your strength to battle back and to stand for what's right. Letter B, when we stumble, when we stumble. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 16 says this. It says, for a just man falleth seven times. And riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. My pastor as a boy used to use this illustration a lot. And it stuck with me all these years later. And i got to tell you, it has been such a help to me along the way. But can, I show, can I show you uh, what the Christian life looks like? Here's what the Christian life looks like for most people. Ready? One, two, one. One, two, one. One, two, one, two steps forward, one step back. Now, I wish I never took a step backwards. I really wish I could avoid the step backwards. But at the end of the day, am I moving forward or am I moving backwards? You see, we fight our flesh our whole Christian life. There are going to be days where you wake up and you don't feel like much of a Christian. You have stumbled. You have made a mistake. You have, you have, you have failed along the way. And you have not honored the Lord with your actions or your words or your attitude. You've taken a step backwards. The question isn't, will it happen? The question is, what are you going to do when it does happen? When you take that step backwards, you're going to get discouraged and quit? Sometimes I'm taking steps forward for the Lord and Satan hits me with a blow and that knocks me back. What am I going to do when my mouth has been bloodied or my, my eyes have been uh, blackened? What am I going to do? Am I going to say, it's not worth it. I quit. God, you don't keep your promises. No, no, no. God will keep His promises, but I must prevail. I must stand up when I stumble. I must dust myself off and I must move forward for the Lord. The process of growth, letter C, notice how we stabilize. How we stabilize. Sometimes it can feel like we are, um, uh, we, when we're in this fight, that we uh, are, are, we're in defense. We're not on the offense. We're getting hit. And all we're trying to do is avoid the next body shot, the next uh, jab, the next uh, hook. And we don't know how we're going to uh, get back on the offense. We don't know how we're going to stabilize. We feel like we're bleeding spiritually. What do you do? Can you turn over to Psalm 119 with me? Psalm 119 and look at verse number 10. What do you do when Satan has got you down? What do you do when you don't know where to go next? What do you do when you're in the valley of despair or when fear has crippled you or the faults of others are limiting you or your focus has gotten out of whack? How do you hit that giant reset button? i got to tell you, I love having a reset button. If I go push this button, I can just start over. I was watching my son play video games the other day on our um, Apple TV box. He's got this racing game he's into right now. And um, he loves to win. I don't know where he gets that from. I think he gets it from his mom. But he loves to win. Super competitive. Well, he was about 800 yards from the finish line in the game, and he was in second place. And he wasn't going to catch the car in front of him. So you know what he did? He quit. He hit the pause button, and he hit quit. And he started over. I'm not going to lose. I'm going to win. He reset the game. I remember as a boy, I'd be beating this kid in Madden, uh, Madden football. And um, he would walk up and he'd hit, the, he'd hit the power button before the game ended. 
So what are you doing? I'm not going to lose to you. There, I didn't lose. I said, you lost. You turned the game off. Hit the reset button. You know, we can't erase the past. We can't change what's happened. But boy, sometimes we just need to hit the reset button, don't we? How do you do that? You mess up. You're discouraged. Where do you go back to? Psalm 119, verse 10. Look at verse 10. Don't you love it when I tell you to turn to a chapter and I don't give you a verse and it's got as many verses as 119? Like, which page on 119? Look at verse 10. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Where's the, where's the reset button? How do you stabilize? Do you know there's nothing wrong with taking a half a day off of work? Falling on your face before God and seeking His face and reading your Bible? Take a paid day of leave or even if you have to take an unpaid day, hit the reset button. You have to get in your car and drive down a country road and find some empty field and look up at the stars and be still and know that He is God and let the Holy Spirit of God commune with your heart in silence. And then you cry out to God in prayer and you say, My nose is bloodied. My heart hurts. I'm failing. I'm not doing what's right. I'm not living the way I ought to. Or I'm in the middle of the battle and I don't know where to go next. We seek God with our whole heart. We turn to Him in prayer. And we say to Him, Lord, I've grown apart from You. Or I'm not as close to You as I ought to be. And my faith in Your promises, it's staggering. I'm not sure if You really are true to Your Word. And I know it's not You. I know it's me. Lord, help me to stabilize. You bury your heart in prayer. You bury your eyes in the Bible. You begin to meditate on it and pray about it and memorize it. Letter D, notice lastly, why we safeguard. Why we safeguard. Listen, you can't avoid an assault from Satan. You can't avoid him coming in with a flurry of of punches, uh, spiritual punches your direction. But boy, you sure can do your part to prepare and train. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 10 should be pretty easy for you to find if you're in Psalm. It says there, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. Is safe. Here's what I would tell you. The better you know somebody, the easier it is to believe they're going to keep their word. Especially if they're a trustworthy person. Oh, I could go down the road and I could tell some kid I've never met, I could say, hey, you know, if you'll cut my lawn, I don't have money on me now, but if you'll cut my lawn, I'll give you the the 40 bucks in, in two weeks. He'd say, I don't know you from Adam. How do I know you're going to keep your word? But boy, I could grab someone here and say, if you'll cut my lawn... I'll give you the 40 in two weeks. I think most of you here that know me well know that I'm good, I'm good on my word. You're going to get the money. Some people, some of you don't trust God to keep His word because the truth is you don't walk with Him. You just don't. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You go to church because your parents took you to church. You go to church because that's what, the, that's what the culture says you're to do, that you've been raised in. You're so busy going through life doing it your way, you don't trust God because you don't really know God. And you never change. You never grow. Sermons never make their way to your heart. The Holy Spirit never sees any real change in you because you don't know Him. And you can't trust someone you don't know. Run into Him and be safe. Intimately get to know God this morning. Are you staggering at the promises of God? Oh, Satan's going to take his cheap shots. Satan's going to hurt you along the way. We must learn to trust God and His Word. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning. Lord, I ask that You would move in our hearts, that we would not be that person that's paralyzed by fear, that Christian that loses focus, that Christian who's limited by past faults. 
Lord, may we stabilize through your word. May we safeguard in a deeper relationship with you. Lord, would you help us to believe the promises that are so abundant and rich in your scriptures. Help us to not only live by them, but to deeply embrace them. Help us not only, Lord, to believe with them in our head, but, God, that our lifestyle dictates that they're also believed in our hearts. Lord, I pray that today you would help us to stop being so self-centered and be more Christ-centered. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and eyes closed. The altar is open. I encourage you this morning to come and kneel and pray. Tell the Lord that you're not going to stagger His promises. You're not going to waver or doubt His word. If you're here today and you don't know for sure where you're going to spend eternity, you don't know whether or not you're going to go to heaven or hell when you die. We have one of our assistant pastors standing down front here. He can take the Bible or he can get a lady to take the Bible and show you how you can know you're going to heaven. If you've been saved and not baptized, our baptismal waters are ready. We'd love to help you follow the Lord in that decision of obedience. You need information on how to join.